0: Welcome to Rethink, the podcast that explores the people and products shaping innovation and those designing for resilience. Hosted by Philip Beer. Today's guest is Keegan Kirkpatrick. He is the founder and CEO of Redworks. Redworks is a startup that creates 3D printers that makes building materials as strong as stone using nothing but dirt. Keegan, that's a very brief intro about you. Can you please share with those listening a little bit more about your background and experience?
1: Sure. So Redworks was originally founded as a design team for a challenge uh, NASA was putting on way back when to figure out new ways to, be able to build on site for long duration space missions. And we put forward what we thought was a fairly simple idea, which was, hey, what if we could build you know habitats completely on site? Well, apparently, that wasn't uh, such an obvious idea, and we started getting phone calls from a lot of folks in the construction industry, like A.T. Kearney and Associates, who were really interested in what this technology could do to disrupt uh, what they saw as an affordable housing crisis, and what we soon discovered uh, had applications to disrupt the construction supply chain as a whole. So we've spent the last few years in R&D, developing a new type of 3D printing machine, basically that could take dirt that you excavated not a couple of minutes ago, drop it on a conveyor, stick it under the machine, and out will come molten material that will cool into you know bricks, pavers, landscape architecture materials, whatever masonry units you could possibly need completely in the field. So the basic idea is that you'd be able to reduce your supply chain and be in complete control of whatever the finished product needs to be, all for significantly less money than you'd be otherwise paying because your only cost is essentially energy. And in the U.S., it's uh, it would functionally shake out, too, if you were using, like, a garden-sized brick. It, that thing would be a penny a piece instead of 50 cents a piece.
0: So, uh, Keegan, are we talking about, say, uh, wall systems and pavers?
1: Yeah. Now, initially, we're looking at mostly facing materials. We want to start doing some more extensive dest- destructive testing before we make the machines... Uh, available for building load bearing structures, but we're quite confident they'll be able to do it. We just uh, don't have in-house ASTM machines, but we're working with a lab out in Texas that does.
0: So just to be clear, which materials would you be able to to produce like this on site? So, the material
1: is essentially man-made welded tough or volcanic rock. So this is not too different from other types of volcanic materials like uh, basalts and, uh, types of granite and what have you. I won't say it is actually granite because my geologist would uh, be very, very angry with me if I made a mistake uh, with that. But this is essentially artificial rock that you'd be able to make completely in the field. And we're not talking about foam and we're not talking about, you know, uh, casted concrete. This is something you'd be able to 3D print in any shape you'd want, and it is rock.
0: Definitely a big benefit, not only that you're doing this on onsite uh, and producing the material, but you're also reducing waste
1: Yes, significantly. About 30% of any construction project's materials cost end up being lost to waste. And that can be anything from material being damaged in site, or once it actually gets to the job site itself, or material end up just not being what you thought you needed in the first place. And so those costs end up adding up for your average builder. But with us, if material is broken, big whoop, throw some more dirt in the machine, make you know something brand new. If you, the design isn't what you originally thought you wanted, again, doesn't matter. Throw some dirt in the machine, make something new. It's not. It's something that will radically improve builder's ability to control what their finished product is going to be. Another major advantage of it is, is that it puts the supply chain entirely in the builder's hands, so there's no delays. If there's a longshoreman strike, you're not having to worry about any material you know, being delayed to get to the job site and therefore no costs compounding for machine rentals and fuel costs for generators and actual man-hour costs that you have to pay for everything else. So it will not only reduce waste, it will reduce the time it takes to ultimately get a job done.
0: So walk us through the cycle. How does this work? Uh, You you dig up the dirt, uh, and then just the whole design uh, that you put into the 3D printing. uh, If you could just walk us through the steps involved.
1: It's It's pretty pretty simple, simple. actually. So if anyone uh, listening is familiar with normal plastic 3D printers, the shortest version of that is to think that but your input is dirt rather than, you know, plastic cable. So you pull dirt out of the ground, you put it on a conveyor, it goes into a hopper on the top of the machine, which, has a little, which is going to have a little grade that's going to stop rocks and what have you from that are too big from getting into it. That dirt goes down a feed line, which goes into a printhead that we've specially engineered that then heats that said dirt up to volcanic temperatures and then pushes it out layer by layer like a normal 3D printer, and once it's cooled, it is then ejected from the machine, and in about 20 minutes, it's co- it's uh, cool enough to touch. Within 20 seconds, it's solid. Uh, that's it's solid before it actually leaves the machine. So if you're got any type of custom design, you import that in the machine and hit print, and your material st- starts coming out however you want it to be done. So it really is exporting the same, really, really, really basic. Uh, manufacturing principles of 3D printing to construction using materials that we all have in abundance in some cases more than we know what to do with which is of course excavated dirt
0: how does it look in regard to cost comparison apples to apples Uh, if if you're
1: talk, if it's a very very high fidelity uh, that's going to be quite a bit bit cheaper I don't have solid numbers on that right now but you're not putting in the same kind of experienced man hours or you know custom molding that has to be made but let's talk in terms of something a little bit more, more basic that everybody's familiar with, a garden-sized uh, brick. Now, right now, if you're buying those off of the shelf of any major retailer, they're about 50 cents apiece. If you're getting them wholesale from a buddy of yours, you might be able to get that down to uh, between a quarter and a dime apiece. Uh, with our machine, if you're operating on the average power consumption in the United States, which is about you know, 12 cents per kilowatt hour last I checked, that shakes out to being about a penny per brick. If you're doing it in California or Arizona or any other state that has, you know, where at peak operations, solar makes energy cheaper than free. The same can be said for your building materials. So uh, if you're planning on building in the Southwest, your costs are going to fall through the floor.
0: If you're planning on building
1: anywhere else in the U.S., they fall by an order of magnitude.
0: Sounds like a no-brainer. Are builders putting this to practice yet?
1: Not yet. We are still finishing up our first machine. We're going to be having our uh, we're going to be having bricks being ma- made very very soon. I don't want to say actual times just yet because this is still an engineering challenge, and any engineer who tells you a deadline is lying to you. Uh, but we do ha- have some early customers lined up who are interested in using this for demo products. These are mostly people who are high end architects and what have you, but wear kind of a de- but you know they're wearing multiple hats, you know developer and what have you. So we want to put this in the hands of early users, which are high-end architects who are using this on some really kind of high-concept products. These are our early risk-takers. But we've also been talking to people who have been interested in this who are not who you'd think. Uh, One potential customer we've been speaking with is a lifelong uh, concrete supplier, been working in the industry for like the last 40-plus years, and he's really interested in what this technology can do. So from where I stand, the oh-duh aspect of this is something that makes it really appealing to a wide range of users, regardless of what their background really is. It also boils down to the fact that, let's be honest, the construction industry is really, really hurting for for cost-cutting measures right now. And people who normally wouldn't give new technology the time of day are willing to consider new options.
0: Uh, In regard to machinery, you mentioned the Southwest. So say it's a builder in Phoenix, Arizona, who wants to implement this right away. What kind of machinery is necessary, and how long does it take to set up?
1: Really, they don't need to change anything else about their job site. They just need to import, you know, put our machine on site. Now, the machine itself is going to be, well, we can make it any size we really need, but there will be a standard platform that will be about six feet by six feet. So something you can stick on the back of a truck bed without breaking too much of a sweat. Uh, you get that out to the job site. And more or less move that next to, to wherever your pile of excavated material is and start moving material into the machine and you'll have build material. And after that, every every other process you have uh, moves just as it normally would. So in other words, this is something you can horizontally integrate into any construction site without breaking a sweat. And nothing else about what you're doing has to change.
0: How do you guarantee the quality of the product? We've been doing
1: We've been doing a destructive testing of the material uh, ourselves and have seen very few few significant differences in the build quality regardless of what we put in. And we've used dirt from our own backyards, uh, aggregate sand that would normally be going into the use of concrete and even big hunks of decomposed granite. Now, we're getting ready to start doing actual certified testing uh, with a lab out in Texas we're working with. But so far, the general consensus is that uh, the heat we're operating at is so high that it essentially melts the material down to, to the same basic uh, finished product, no matter what the input feedstock is. And to if that doesn't make a lot of sense, the simplest explanation I can offer is this. While there are trace amounts of metals and other stuff in different types of rock and dirt all around the world, most of the dirt on planet Earth that is not topsoil, uh, is made out of the same stuff, uh, feldspar and what's called silica heavy uh, com, uh, silica. What's called feldspar and silica heavy material. So you're ultimately putting the same basic components in, and you're going to get roughly the same basic output regardless. So your finished product is going to be what it what it is in one location. What it is going to be anywhere else. That's what our uh, and we've run. Good lord! A few hundred tests of different materials so far. Far by now, and we have the only things that have been really, really weird. Results have been, or rather, uh, not consistent with the finished product. Have been actual topsoil, which you can't use, period, because it's uh, made mostly out of organics. It's not the same input feedstock. But once you go down more than a few feet, your what your excavated material is going to be will overwhelmingly be, you know, dirt, uh, the same basic dirt. Uh, volcanic rock which works a little too well. It actually heats up really fast. And calcium carbonate sands, which you can only find near coral reefs. So very, very narrow cases where this material is not uh, usable in any circumstance.
0: So builders listening to this, they're thinking this sounds great. It's addressing two things that we hear a lot about right now, which is uh, supply chain and labor and also addresses waste. What else uh, are the benefits that, are beyond those three.
1: Well, there's a few benefits that we've started to notice, but I don't want to make too many promises about just yet. Uh, we are fairly confident that this machine would actually make it possible to turn uh, carbon-contaminated soils. So, if you're building on top of a site where an old gas station was, we're fairly confident this machine can easily turn carbon-contaminated soils from that site. Into an inert material, and you can just skip a lot of the uh, waste cleanup uh, nonsense you'd normally have to go through. Now, we're fairly we're not sure yet if this can be used outside of that uh, narrow use case. So, if you're building something on, like, say, a steel mill or what have you, uh, we're still got to do more tests on those types of dirts. So, this is something that could imp- that for now can improve the bulk of all waste cleanup. Uh, that normally puts uh, job sites in the U.S. Uh, on hold for an extended period of time. Another uh, big advantage to it is that uh, because it is a process that does not have that just requires an energy source and only has to be built on the site where the material would be needed in the first place, you're reducing not only your delivery costs, you're reducing the amount of carbon dioxide putting in the atmosphere from all the machines that would normally be required to move material from where it is built to where it is needed. For those who aren't familiar, the concrete industry, not counting delivery of material, is supposedly responsible for something like 7% of all atmospheric greenhouse gases. So this is a material that will radically improve a job's ability to be sustainable. As it is, I mentioned earlier, that if you are building in say the Southwest where you're got more, where you've got solar energy coming out of your nose, uh, your finished product is cheaper than free. Well, if say you're not a builder, say you're ju- just someone who is operating in uh, dirt removal or any type of recycling, you could be able to set one of the, these things up inside a vacant lot in, you know, around five other job sites and take in everybody else's material. And during peak production of energy, when energy is cheapest, you could th- then stick material in the machine and then make bricks for less than free. And in a sense, it's kind of a form of energy exportation where you're able to take an excess of energy, energy turn that into a finished product and ship that out to pe- people who might, might not be able to make it at the same cost. So the use cases are really fascinating and uh, the ability to make material completely custom in the field is something where I couldn't even begin to get into the applications of that. I've, uh, if you ever want to know what this stuff can really do, uh, take five minutes and you know head down to like a local architecture school or whatever and talk to those kids about what they would do if they could make literally any build material they needed completely on site. And they'll throw at you more <laughs> ideas than you'll ever be able to come with on your own. Uh, it's it's really fascinating what this the potential uses for this thing really are.
0: I'm sure we're going to be seeing and hearing more about uh, Redworks in the coming months, if not sooner. Um, if people want to know more about you or the company, what's the website out of the reach you?
1: So you can find us on Twitter at Redworks CTI, or you can find us online at www.redworks3d.com. And you can find me on the website provided on the website.
0: Is that Redworks 3D with the number
1: and letter D? Yes, that is a R-E-D-W-O-R-K-S, three and a D
0: dot com. Thank you for listening to this episode of Rethink. Find a complete library of past episodes at iTunes or wherever you're listening to this.